Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our 24th Bodysode, a segment where we discuss research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today is my co-host Dara from University of Paris Saclay. Hello. How are you doing Dara? I'm good, how are you? I'm also fine today. The article we're discussing today is titled Type 2 but not Type 1 Interferon Signaling is Indispensable for TLR7-Promoted Development of Autoreactive B-Cells and Systemic Autoimmunity. There are two co-first authors in this paper, Sati Babu Jodhisethi and Adam Fike. Our guest today is Adam Fike himself, who is a graduate student in Zier Rahman's lab at Penn State University. Uh, Adam, glad to have you here today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. That's a very mouthful of paper title. Yeah, <laughs> we wanted to be very uh, clear cut what we were showing. So <laughs> very specific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, Adam, before we get into anything, um, I just like to know how has your journey been as a graduate student and how, how did you get interested in immunology as a field of research? Yeah, so um, I uh, took kind of the long way, I guess. I um, did my undergraduate work at Arcadia University outside of Philadelphia, where I you know, took immunology classes and got really interested in it. I uh, wanted to pursue a master's, so I did a master's at Drexel University uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, focusing on CD8 responses to viral infection and how they're regulated. Um, I then kind of stayed on working for a few years uh, as a research technician and decided that uh, my next next best route would be to you know pursue a PhD. So I uh, came here to Penn State and joined Zia Raman's lab. And uh, since joining here, we've been you know we we dominantly focus on B cell responses to autoimmunity. Uh, but we do also have a, you know, an arm of the lab that kind of focuses on just general germinal center B cell reactions and things like that as well. So uh, that's where my you know, focus uh, kind of lays is within how germinal center B cells in particular are regulated both in autoimmunity and, you know, during infection or immunization and things like that. So, Okay. Well, that's a very focused f flow of your career. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it seems much more focused when you say it like that, but yeah. it, it, it was uh, when, when going through, it was a little bit more disjointed. So, but yeah, here we are. <laughs> you want to hear a, a joke? <laughs> I would love to. All, all right. So don't beat me up after this one, but <laughs> how, how do you maintain a TLR7 driven autoimmune mouse model? <laughs> I don't know how. Huh? Oh. Aren't you guys curious? Okay, I'll just tell you. You just let them be. <laughs> Uh, that, <laughs> man, that's so bad. Okay, uh, 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 anybody who did not understand that in the audience, you will by the end of this episode. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Before we go into the introduction of the paper, let's discuss some terminology. Um, Adam, I'll let you take this one. What are spontaneous germinal centers? Yeah, so a, a germinal center is uh, basically... I think one of the best definitions of it that I've seen uh, comes from Gabriel Victoria, who said that it's sort of B cell evolution on a micro scale. So uh, it's a site, a little niche, immunological niche within secondary lymphoid organs where B cells undergo rounds of uh, mutations to their B cell receptor to try to 
basically over time increase the affinity of the, the B cell receptor and ultimately the antibody that's produced. So a spontaneous germinal center is one, it's sort of um, the way to think about it is that it's without administering anything to the mouse or to the person, it just occurs like actually spontaneously. So, uh, you know, there's no immunization or infection particular potentially dr driving it, um, at least that we know of. Uh, so the, the other way to kind of think about it is like uh, an endogenously stimulated germinal center versus an exogenously, you know, driven germinal center. Okay, so you're saying it is driven by an antigen, but just nothing that came out from outside. It's already there. And the yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't we don't know what causes them. Um, you know, you can find spontaneous germinal centers even in a non-autoimmune mouse in a B6. Um, you can find them in germ-free mice. They happen still. Uh, so we're not sure what's driving them in particular. A lot of people are starting to kind of delve into that. Um, but yeah. Okay. Next one, type 1 and type 2 interferons. Yeah, so type 1 and type 2 interferons are a branch of cytokines that uh, are classically involved in the regulation or the immune response to viral infections. So they're termed interferons because they interfere with viral replication. Uh, since their discovery, though, they've been implicated in a number of disease states. Type 1 interferon kind of consists of the alphas and the betas are the kind of classic ones that people focus on. There's a number of other subtypes and things that are people are it's unclear what they do and you know per se but and then type 2 interferons is mostly interferon gamma um so both of these have subsequently been implicated in in autoimmunity in particular in lupus uh, so that's why we kind of pursued them in this paper okay then we got uh tlr signaling specifically this particular TR, tlr called tlr7 yeah, so TLR7, it stands for toll-like receptor 7. So it's a endosomal receptor uh, in a number of cell type, immune cell types, uh, that recognizes single-stranded RNA. And, um, you know, the it, it was discovered probably in the mid-2000s, actually, that, um, you know, in addition to the B-cell receptor signaling or dendritic cells, you know, getting activated, there has to be some other... Uh, signal that's driving the autoimmune response. So, uh, you know, a number of groups set out to kind of explore that and identify a role for TLR7, TLR signaling, and in particular, TLR7 as a major driver of that, uh, both within dendritic cells and E cells has been really well uh, characterized to date. Um, yeah, it's it's very weird to me that there are, there are multiple TLRs and there's TLR7 and there's TLR9, and both of them are supposed to be associated with pathogens. However, we have one of the CLR7 that is associated with exacerbation of the disease, but there is another TLR9 that is generally seen to be protective in disease. And it just boggles me. Why would this happen? What's the point? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So, and I don't think anybody really has a clear cut answer at this point, not, not out of the data that I've seen. Because the thing that's weird is, you know, if you knock out TLR7 in a mouse model of autoimmunity, uh, as you mentioned it, you know, ablates the autoimmune response, but if you knock out TLR9, it dramatically exacerbates it. Um, so some of the ideas behind that is whether it's increasing the ligand availability for TLR7 or somehow allowing more TLR7 into the endosome and things like that. So there's a number of people that are working on that, but I, I would say that there's not a real clear cut answer at this point. Um, why one versus the other and things like that. Yeah. yeah it's a Another mystery. We'll we'll have yeah, a paper exactly. on that yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that there are a number of groups that are actively pursuing that. So hopefully in the next year or so we'll hear something something yeah. from you. So. Yeah. 
All right, with that, I think we can, actually there's one more thing. So this is a very tiny bit detail because you guys talk about this transcription factor, very specific transcription factor called TBET. Mm-hmm. So before, we will uh, talk about it in the results section, but can you give us an overview? What is TBET and what it is, what's the function of it? Yeah, so TBET is a transcription factor. It's dominantly been studied in T-cell function. Uh, it's you know dominantly associated with a TH1 response, so an interferon gamma-driven response. Uh, however, we found that its expression within B cells uh, is also required for an autoimmune response, and a number of other people have shown this at this point too. Uh, what exactly it's doing is still probably also a question. Um, I know a lot of people that have been looking at it recently, uh, particularly Mike Cancro's group and everything uh, in regards to the age-associated B cells or ABCs, um, they also are, the last time I saw him give a, give a talk, he said that he they aren't sure exactly what it's doing either. Uh, they know, they're not even sure if it's a, just a marker for ABCs versus a function, has like a functional consequence. Uh, but we know that if we knock it out in B cells, it also you know, is required for that autoimmune response. So it's doing something. What it's doing is also still a question in B cells. In T cells, it's much more characterized that TBET drives, you know, the production of different gamma and things like that. So. Okay, thanks a lot for the terminology section. And with that, let's talk about the premise of this paper. While antibody for antibody forming cells and germinal center reactions are thought to be involved in combating pathogens, there is also a role of these cells in propagating autoimmunity. These cells, for example, can form spontaneous germinal centers that produce pathogenic antibodies. Studies have shown TLR7 signaling to be important for this process and polymorphisms in TLR7 gene is a susceptibility factor in many autoimmune diseases, including lupus. Another set of molecules important for B cell activation are the interferons, which we just talked about. The authors themselves and other groups have shown in the past that the type 1 and type 2 interferon signaling has a B cell intrinsic role in the loss of tolerance and promotion of autoreactivity. What is not known is the relative contribution of type 1 and type 2 interferons in the development of TLR7 induced autoimmunity. This right here is the main objective of this paper to answer which of these interferons, type 1 or type 2, has a bigger contribution in TLR7-induced autoimmunity. Uh, Adam, can you tell us what was the motivation behind this paper and how did you guys come up with this hypothesis? Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, the field of lupus research has dominantly focused on a role for type 1 interferon signaling. That's you know, one of the hallmarks of lupus disease is, is inter- the type 1 interferon signature. Um, you know, the patients that have um, hepatitis, uh, if they get treated with interferon, a subset of them develop lupus-like symptoms. So there was really this tight link between type 1 interferon and lupus disease. Um, and then in 2016, we put out a paper along back-to-back with a group at um, uh, University of Washington uh, from David Rawlings group. So they should, together we showed that uh, type two interferon signaling in B cells is that is also actually really required for this autoimmune response. And there's also a type two interferon signature associated with lupus. So we were sort of just wanted to set the stage and say, all right, well, if you compare side by side a type one interferon and type two interferon signaling in lupus-like disease, which one sort of is the main driver of this response. So we just wanted to set them set them on an even playing stage and, and, and compare them directly side by side. Okay. 
And uh, is there a reason that you're focusing solely on B cells? Yeah, so so B cells are one of the dominant producers of, or the they are the producers of autoantibodies in lupus disease. They're one of the major drivers of pathology. Uh, previously, our group and others have shown a role for B cell intrinsic TLR7 being required for this response, and then also B cell intrinsic type 1 and type 2 interferons is being required for this response. Uh, so that's dominantly why we focused on the B cell response in this in this study. I don't know either. I'm just getting exposed to a lot of B cell papers or lately it's been a more focus in terms of autoimmunity that previously you think they're just there as antibody producers, but now we're, we're trying to appreciate more that they're more than just producing antibodies. They're doing a lot, a lot of more things and contributing to autoimmunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a number of studies have shown that, uh, you know, whether it's just in addition to their autoantibody production, whether they're producing cytokines or functioning as an antigen-presenting cell and things like that, they actually do have other dominant roles in the autoimmune responses. Yeah, and also I would think I was thinking that some of these um, atypical B cells that we don't normally see or are not seen in a positive light. Uh, I was I was thinking that these are maybe only uh, taking part in autoimmune diseases, but recent papers with SARS-CoV-2 have shown us that they are indeed producing antibodies, which are beneficial. So there are both sides of these cells. It's just so hard to balance, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of studies that have shown that they are, you know, probably expanded in autoimmune disease. Um, and that's been, you know, really well characterized so far. And I know more mechanistically that's being worked on now. Uh, but yeah, a number of studies recently have shown that they are expanding uh, following vaccination and infection. Uh, so how, what the relative contribution of uh, you know, these extra follicular responses versus the germinal center responses and stuff like that. I think it's kind of a, a hot topic right now. But. Yeah. Okay, with that, we can finally dive into the results. Dara, are you ready? Yep. Yeah, okay, let's go. So the first question, to understand the role of type 1 interferons and interferon gamma signaling for the audience, I'm going to refer to type 2 interferons as interferon gamma because that's the only one member of this group. <laughs> So yeah, the role of interferon gamma and type 1 interferon signaling in regulating TLR7 autoimmunity. The authors used a widely characterized model of lupus or just systemic autoimmunity. They treated wild type and this autoimmune prone mouse called SLE1B with an agonist called of TLR7 called imecomod. The agonist was applied on the ears of the mice three times weekly for four to 12 weeks. Uh, before we continue with the results, Adam, can you tell us what makes this SLE1B mouse so special and why was it required for the conclusions that you drew? Yeah, definitely. So, so the SLE1B mouse is a mouse model that spontaneously develops autoimmunity. Um, it is not in itself actually a model for pathology, so they don't really develop kidney disease or anything like that per se. So one of the benefits of this model is that it allows you to, because you know over time the the autoimmune response is highly inflammatory, right? So mm -hmm. it, it kind of progresses. So as as the inflammation and in the rest of the system develops, you kind of muddies the water a little bit to be able to say that you know signal A versus signal B and things like that are required. So that's that's one of the major reasons that we use the SLE1B model is that it allows us to kind of pursue those types of questions independent of systemic inflammation but again the caveat with that so so let me let me preface also by saying so the SLE1B model um, is originally derived from the SLE1 background so these this was a mouse model that 
uh, has been really well characterized um, that develops spontaneous autoimmunity. And if you take the SLE1B sublocus out specifically, they also still develop this systemic autoimmunity. So it's, it's dominantly driven towards DNA and chromatin. Um, and it, you know, we've already shown that it's dependent upon TLR7 signaling. So that's, that's known. But again, the caveat with this is that it's not a disease model. So we wanted to develop a disease model uh, to see if, if we could kind of exacerbate the response and then also focus it towards a TLR7 driven response. So that's why we used the Omiquimod model because uh, it doesn't involve you know, additional mouse crosses and things like that. You can just apply it to the ears three times a week and that allows you to uh, drive a very strong, robust response. So by as early as, you know, four to six weeks, you can see a really heightened immune response uh, to the TLR7 driven ligand. And by, you know, eight to 12 weeks post, then you start to develop the kidney, you know, immune complex depositions and things like that and pathology at 12 weeks and everything too, so. Um, okay, yeah, that makes it a nice so, model. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I'll mention too, is that, you know, if, uh, you know, you can amiquimod treat like a B6 background mouse and things like that, and they do, you know, have expansion of their immune populations, but they don't develop autoimmunity. So the SLE1B model has polymorphisms in the SLAM family members. So that mm -hmm. regulate BT interactions. So if you don't have those polymorphisms, the mice don't develop autoimmunity. So that's why it's, uh, that's why it's necessary. So what you're saying is SLE1B mice are standing on this in edge of the cliff of autoimmunity and you push yeah. them off by applying the semicomod cream. Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to the results. The authors confirmed the presence of more germinal center and T follicular helper cells in the animals treated with imecomod. And importantly, the SLE1B imecomod exhibit, uh, animals exhibited more germinal center and T follicular helpers than their counterpart wild type animals. This response was associated with the increased presence of antibodies and antibody forming cells specific for double-stranded DNA and nucleosomes. Until now, it seems that their model is correct and there is presence of autoimmunity. The Authors further confirmed the severity of the autoimmune disease by extending the study until 12 weeks. This would lead to immune complex deposition and kidney pathology, something we can find in SLE. The authors found increased expression of interferon gene signature, including the upregulation of IFNAR, which is the receptor for type 1 interferons, and interferon gamma receptor on B cells upon TLR2 stimulation. To summarize, uh, the SLE1B imicomod mice represent a good model for TLR7-driven autoimmunity with a lot of uh, immune phenotypes that resemble uh, human SLE. And just to correct myself, I just said TLR2 stimulation, I meant TLR7 stimulation. All right, so moving on to the next figure. With their experimental model set up, the authors want to dissect the contribution of typhoid interferons and interferon gamma signaling in TLR7-mediated SLE, or lupus-like disease. To answer this question, the authors generated a B6 SLE1B def mice deficient in interferon uh, alpha receptor, interferon A receptor, interferon gamma receptor. With this strategy, the authors could define the role of each cytokine signaling in promoting the disease. The authors found reduction in the frequency of germinal center B cells and follicular helper T cells in the absence of IFNAR and a more and even a more striking reduction when there when the interferon gamma receptor was absent. 
A similar and consistent pattern was observed when evaluating the presence of autoantibodies, immune complex deposition, and severe glomerulonephritis in the absence of IPNAR or interferon gamma receptor, observing more reduction when interferon gamma signaling is missing. With this data, the authors get the first insight on the important role of interferon gamma in mediating TLR7 induction of lupus. Uh, Adam, did you ever try a double knockout? It might be redundant, but do you expect no signs of inflammation in this case? Like a, you're saying a type one and type two interferon yeah. knockout? No, we've never tried it. We, we've talked about doing that. Um, but yeah, presumably it would be redundant because gamma is the, the, you know, when you remove gamma receptor, it's, it's so strong in reducing the autoimmunity by itself that presumably it would, I mean, potentially it would re reduce it a little bit further, but uh, there is a lot of crosstalk between the type one and type two interferon receptors and everything like that. So, I mean, feasibly it could do something. Uh, we've never explored that. Um, we did try to start to explore uh, if you a triple knockout, so a type one, type two, and type three receptor knockout. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that they uh, ha also have reductions in even just stat one expression and a number of other just signaling downstream. So. It, it didn't go very far because there's it's sort of chicken or egg um, yeah. in those types of settings. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I have this question for you. Since you just mentioned type 3 inter interferons, I have, at least till my knowledge, I've never seen any study where they look at type 3 interferons in autoimmunity. What do we know about it? Very little <laughs> uh, is the short answer. Uh, there was actually just, I, I, I'm blanking on the author group, so I apologize to them, but uh, there was just a study that came out, uh, it was either the end of last year or this year that started kind of phenotyping uh, type three interferon receptor knockouts. And they also showed that it it, it has, you know, plays a role um, in, in autoimmunity. It seems to probably mimic closer to a type one interferon response where it's required, uh, but it doesn't completely ablate the response. It doesn't seem, uh, at least from some of the earlier data that I've seen. Um, yeah. Okay. So the, the, the short answer is not very much. Yeah. <laughs> For the audience, uh, since we did not talk about type three interferons in the terminology section, I'll give a, a very little bit details that I know of. Um, type three interferons, mostly interferon lambdas, they are uh, active in the mucosal sites and so just because I work with another, a friend of mine who's a virologist and I get to hear a lot of her talks, uh, there is a link between type 3 interferons and intestinal viral infections. If you have, these type 3 interferons are very much required for controlling intestinal viral infections. So if you knock out this interferon, either the receptor or the cytokine itself, you have an exacerbated uh, viral infection stage. So that's what I know. Up to then, and I think if it has a role in controlling viral infections, it probably has a role in autoimmunity as well. We just don't know about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, we it's not clear, you know, at least in these mouse models that we're using, how much of a mucosal manifestation there really is. We've we've never really pursued it that far, but we know at least you know in the in the spleen and stuff like that, there's still probably going to be some role for for type three and you know production and things like that yeah. in there. So and, and even even more strikingly probably is in the in the kidney itself, um, how much you know what's being produced there and who's responding to it and things like that. But yeah, it's something we we've been interested in it and we've we've always talked about pursuing it, but never haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dara, do you want to take the next figure? Yes, so move on to figure three. To better understand the contributions of interferon gamma to lupus development in their model, the others use a, mo a mouse model that expressed two copies of TLR7 
called the B6YAA encrusted with mice lacking interferon gamma receptor. And these mice, males only, they're, they're not using, uh, why, why don't you use female mice? But is it uh, an X-linked thing? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So um, the so typically, so most of the time when we do autoimmune studies, we use females, right? Because females, uh, particularly in lupus disease, 90% of patients are female. So that's why the majority mm -hmm. of our studies, we do use female mice. Uh, in this particular model, <clears throat> so this, the YAA stands for uh, Y chromosome autoimmune accelerator. So there was a, at some point, it was discovered back in the seventies actually. And then it, it was kind of profiled much more in the late, in the 2010s and stuff like that by uh, Edward Winkelin's group. So they identified that uh, there's a gene translocation from the X chromosome to the Y chromosome. So it results in uh, overexpression of a number of genes that are typically on the X chromosome. Uh, their group then went on to show specific, Edward Winkelin's group went on to specifically show that it's it's TLR7 that's on that that gene translocation and stuff like that, that's that's promoting the autoimmune acceleration. So uh, by using this mouse model, so then we get the the TLR7 expressed off the X and then we get the TLR7 expressed off the Y. So it's an overexpression system. Okay. Okay. It's a really crazy model because almost all of these males get disease, right? Uh, yes, yeah, all of them do. Yeah, they, they get very sick. Um, you know, typically, so that the SLE1B model by itself, if you just let it spontaneously develop autoimmunity, uh, you know, you have to kind of wait till, you know, four months old, you'll see some heightened, you know, three to four months old, you'll see a heightened response. By six months old, that's when they start to kind of really crank out the autoimmune cells, and then they'll start to develop some immune complex deposition, but it's not very severe. Uh, with the YAA back crossed onto it by by three months old, uh, they already have a heightened response. And then by, you know, somewhere between six to nine months old is where they start to die. Mm -hmm. um, subsequently, we've crossed the YAA to other autoimmune strains that are a little bit stronger uh, models of pathology and they they don't last very long actually <laughs> by themselves. So it's, it's very mm -hmm. strong, it's robust, yeah. Okay. Okay. So these mice rescue some of the phenotypes from the B6YAA mice alone. For instance, the B6YAA mice developed splenomegaly or they got the big spleens and generated more GC B cells and uh, T follicular helper cells than the control. However, upon the knockout of the interferon gamma in these B6YA mice, the spleens went down to a near control level size. So did numbers of the GC of B cells and the TFH cells. Importantly, the B6YA knockout mice developed more antibody producing cells as well as the antibodies against double-stranded DNA and nucleosomes, which is characteristic of SLE. The B6YA mice lacking interferon gamma receptor also had lower levels of APCs and antibodies against double-stranded RNA. Together, the B6YA together, this data also showed that the deletion of the interferon gamma receptor can rescue the phenotypes associated with TR7 overexpression, suggesting that the interferon gamma pathway is crucial for the development of SLE via the TR7. Now, we've got a great phenotype, so the others decided to use RNA sequencing to dig deeper into the molecular, the molecular mechanisms that interferon gamma receptor, that interferon gamma promotes the SLE through TRS7 signaling. The other sequence cells from spleens and from the SLE mouse model and the SLE mouse model lacking an inferent gamma receptor. 
And from this data, the others saw that a number of pathways were disrupted upon the loss of interferon gamma receptor, including those associated with gene transcription reg regulation, ubiquitination, and pr proteasome complex. Cell proliferation and migration, autoimmunity, inflammation, cellular oxidative stress, and cellular metabolism. And I have one question. So uh, why did you decide to use only B cells, but not the whole splenocytes for this experiment? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, we had actually gone back and forth about it a lot. The, the, basically, the, the short answer is the idea was we kind of wanted to just kind of get a broad idea of what kind of, how is the milieu and everything like that? How is the environment mm -hmm. completely affected without gamma or alpha there? Um, subsequently, we've, you know, we've started to pursue uh, things about, you know, B cells specifically and how they're affected and uh, by gamma and type 1 interferon and stuff like that. But uh, the, yeah, the idea was just sort of broad strokes. How is the environment sort of infected, but uh, affected, not infected, affected by uh, the deficiencies? Okay, thank you. So with this data, the elders conclude that interferon gamma regulates many processes during the development of TLS7-mediated autoimmunity. Adam, can I can I say something here? Mm -hmm. This this YAA model, I think this was just the perfect model to tease out this part about interferon gamma signaling, right? Because, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because this is exactly, you know exactly that, uh, that translocation of this uh, X chromosome onto the Y, which has a TLR gene, is responsible for this autoimmunity. There is TLR7's role in this, and you just remove infrared gamma receptor to check how does that do with the TLR signaling. I, I really love this model. <laughs> yeah, it's a, we, we, we like it too. <laughs> uh, it, you know, we actually like it a lot because one of the one of the best things about it is that it's not it's not very heterogeneous actually. The response is pretty consistent across the board between the mice on average. You know. Uh, so it allows us to kind of definitively parse out how these things are kind of interplaying with each other. So, yeah, we we, we definitely like it. <laughs> it's much more consistent too. Is the main thing. Yeah. Okay. So move on to Figure Five. This results from the host splenocytes play out a key role of interferon gamma in the development of autoimmunity by way of toll-like receptor seven, but they don't quite zero in on the key players. The in the complex cellular microenvironment of spleen, who is providing the interferon gamma? To, this, to answer this question, the elders use a report to mouse that expresses a yellow fluorescent protein whenever there is any interferon gamma and treated with it and treated it with the interferon gamma, you know, and treated with a toll-like receptor 7 antagonist, the imiquimod. So using this model, the elders found that after six weeks, the most yellow and therefore more interferon gamma secreting cells were CD4, CD4 T cells, and specifically the TFH and pre-TFH cells. Dendritic cells, macrophages, eosinophils, monocytes, and neutrophils weren't yellow, so probably weren't the producers of interferon gamma in this system. The B cells also expressed more interferon gamma receptor upon treatment with imiquimod. Therefore, supporting the other's hypothesis that interferon gamma must be important for the, de the development of toll-like receptor 7-mediated autoimmunity. They used this data from this figure to begin uh, constructing a model. The TLS7 increases uh, levels of interferon gamma receptor on B cells 
and interferon gamma in T cells, which then causes the TFH to produce to provide more interferon gamma to the sensitized B cells. Well, that was yeah, that was a very nice study here. Um, I'll go to the next one. To demonstrate the role of B cells in their proposed model, the authors created a mouse that conditionally deleted interferon gamma receptor only in B cells using the CD23 key Cree, a conditional deleted mouse. So now we have a SLE model that also lacks interferon gamma receptor in B cells. This SLE1B interferon gamma receptor floxed CD23 Cree mouse. That's, that's very hard to write and say. <laughs> yeah. Much like the germline interferon gamma receptor knockout model, uh, SLE model mouse, the B cell specific deletion of interferon gamma receptor resulted in mice that did not develop as much of a splenomegaly as much as uh, and as much of a germinal center T follicular helper response or the strong ANA anti-nucleic acid antibody titers as the wild types, suggesting or untreated, suggesting that B cells are critical players. So this study by only deleting only deleting the interferon gamma receptor expression in B cells. And we, if we still see reduction in the features of autoimmunity, we can clearly sh say that this DLR7 driven autoimmunity depends on interferon gamma signaling through B cells. And this is non-redundant. There's just vast wide implications of this figure, right? Because yeah, yeah because you can, you can, you're pinpointing the exact cell type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, you know, I had mentioned previously that we had, we had demonstrated a role for B cell intrinsic type two interferon. So interferon gamma signaling, but, uh, this, this particular experiment was done to, you know, really parse out if you have a t strongly TLR seven driven response, uh, is gamma still the, you know, one of the dominant ones within B cells in particular that's regulating this autoimmunity. And then it, you know, it turns out that it is. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it took us a, it takes us a while to get these mice uh, to cross them because they all have to be crossed onto the autoimmune background and then we age them out and things like that. So it always takes us a lot of time to do these things, but uh, mm -hmm. they're, they're really important for us, yeah. Uh, since when I say B cell condition deletion, we are talking about uh, deletion of this receptor on cells that express CD23. Um, uh, Adam, do you know if CD23 is ex completely exclusive to B cells or is there another cell type that may be expressing it? It should be pretty much exclusive to B cells. Uh, it, it also only knocks out, uh, it doesn't affect, you know, development or anything like that in the bone marrow. It's only for mature peripheral B cells. Uh, there's some link, there's some people that think that it maybe has a role in FDCs, like follicular mm -hmm. dendritic cells, but um, mm -hmm. less clear cut. So it's, it's dominantly peripheral mature B cells. Okay, and do we know if it's ex also expressed in B1 cells? Uh, I believe it is. That's a good question. Okay. Anyway, coming back to the results. Next, the authors asked how much role does STAT1 play in propagating interferon gamma and TLR7 driven autoimmunity phenotype? A quick note here, STAT1 is the direct signaling element that transfer, that transduces the signal from the surface from the interferon gamma receptor to the nucleus. To study this, the authors used the Imicomod model in wild type and STAT1 knockout mice. They found that STAT1 was absolutely required for the development of, uh, for the 
increase of germinal center B cells, follicular helper T cells, and plasma cell responses associated with this disease model. The next question was, if this STAT1 requirement is intrinsic to B cells or whether there is another cell type that must have STAT1 present to see the regular disease phenotype in the Imecomod model. Therefore, the next step was to use a B cell conditional knockout of STAT1 and then look at the model again. The authors were able to confirm that it is indeed a B cell intrinsic requirement for the development of TLR7 mediated germinal centers, uh, T follicle helper cells, and plasma cells. They dug deeper into the study to, <laughs> to study the role of TBET in B cells, since TBET is a transcription factor upregulated by STAT1 signaling. Using a conditional knockout of TBET in B cells, they confirmed that TBET was also required for this process. To summarize, the authors have shown a B cell intrinsic requirement of type 2 or interferon gamma signaling, STAT1, and TBET for the development of this TLR7 driven autoimmunity. Uh, Adam, these a lot of these cells, B cells that we are talking about here, extremely responsive to TLR signaling, possibly, or and also expressing TBET. They remind me of these atypical B cells that are also found in autoimmunity. Um, those cells are known to be particularly responsive to these elements. So, does this study help us understand any of those cells better? Um, I mean, partially. I mean, it does help support the you know the idea of to, of the you know atypical B cells or age-associated B cells being uh, TLR7 and the interferon gamma driven. Um, I mean, I think some of the some of the best work, at least in humans and stuff like that, has come out of Anaki-san's lab, who's shown that you know the DN2s, which are you know essentially the human equivalent of the atypical B cells, uh, are dominantly driven by a TLR7 stimuli, and they also express TBED and things like that. And then work from Mike Kankor's group has kind of validated that all in the mice and everything. And they you know they were one of the original ones to show that in the mice, I guess. Um, so the but the 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 DN2s and a lot of the other ABC populations, it's not clear, I would say, um, well, the DN2s are, are an extrafollicular population, and Akisan's shown that. So it's a T-dependent extrafollicular response. Uh, Mike Kanker's data, though, has shown that the ABCs can, you know, play a role in the germinal center, but they also can contribute to the extrafollicular response and what the, you know, relevant contribution of the ABCs to either, you know, one versus the other is not exactly clear. So. I would say that uh, yes, overall, uh, it can definitely give us some implications as to how uh, you know these TLR7 and interferon gamma signaling may be involved in those populations. But uh, working out which ones are ABCs versus just uh, you know other players in the germinal center and the extrafollicular mm -hmm. responses is is definitely something that needs to still be explored. Yeah. So if if all the bees, or let's say let's a lot of B cells are responsive to these signals that would just mean that atypical B cells are somewhere higher on the spectrum where they're just more responsive than typical B cells, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, we've never looked, I don't know how the expression profile compares for like interferon gamma receptor between a germinal center B cell versus an ABC, like an extrafollicular ABC versus an ABC that's in the germinal center and things like that. So um, so who's who's more or less responsive is probably, you know, upper upper question. I mean, it definitely seems like the TLR7 component seems to be more linked to the, you know, the ABCs are definitely, you know, strongly uh, responsive to TLR7 ligands. Uh, the germinal center B cells seem like they probably decrease their TLR7 expression at least a little bit. Um, so, okay. Yeah. 
So move on to the discussion of this paper. So because of the molecular and cellular mechanisms by which the TLS7 overreactivity promotes autoreactive B-cell development are still largely unexplored. This study shed light on the previously unrecognized indispensable role for the interferon gamma signaling and its downstream transcription factors STAT1 and TBAT in B-cells in promoting TLR7-accelerated AFC and GC responses and SLA autoimmunity. So Adam, do you think that JAK inhibitors alongside the TLR inhibitors could be a good combination for the treatment of autoimmune diseases? Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely an interesting area to pursue. Uh, there mm-hmm. are some people that are looking into TLR7 inhibitors and using those. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we've we've tested because I mean the 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 you know most ideal treatment, I guess, for for autoimmunity would be something that inhibits the autoimmune response, but still allows for you know an immunization or infection driven yeah. response, right? So we've infected and immunized a number of. TLR7 knockouts with a number of things and they still tend to mm-hmm. respond. Uh, they don't seem to have any defects to at least any of the things that we've infected them with. Uh, so it seems like it, it, you know, that gives us some hope that it is yeah. dominantly involved in an autoimmune response at least, uh, or at least more significant in an autoimmune response. And maybe there's more redundant things that kick in for, you know, an infection driven response or something along those lines. So I definitely mm-hmm. think that, you know, targeting TLR7 um, is, is a valid Valid idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had one thing here. Uh, several jack inibs are uh, approved for, well, uh, cancers and and the some are coming up for autoimmunity as well. Are there any TLR inhibitors that are approved for clinical use? I I, I had heard that they were developing one and were starting to do trials. I, I I don't know what the the name of it or anything like that, or honestly, who's even leading that. But uh, just talking with some of the rheumatologists here, here they had brought it up that it's something that is being uh, actively tested. I, I I don't know the exact details about it though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for the next question. Since uh, TLR7 can potentially activate multiple signaling pathways such as NF-CoPA-B and P38 uh, MAPK to promote autoimmunity, is there any potential activation of these pathways in TLR7-induced or TLR7 overexpression models of SLA? Yes, I can confidently say yes. Um, you know, a number of people have looked at IRF5 in particular. There's a lot of um, uh, polymorphisms that have been identified in the IRF5 locus in lupus disease. So a number of people have pursued IRF5. If you knock out IRF5, so there's another autoimmune model called the FC gamma R2B knockout. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, the R- so FC gamma typically binds the FC portion of IgG. R2B is the only one that negatively regulates the response. If you knock it out, the mice develop autoimmunity. So uh, Ian Rifkin's group had shown that if you knock out R2, I'm sorry, IRF5 on an R2B YAA background, so again, that's that strong TLR7-driven response, it, it completely, you know, blades the autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, a number of other people have looked at NF-kappa-B signaling and IRF5 and 7 and things like that. So uh, that's, you know, the downstream signaling is something that we're actively pursuing. So um, hopefully, you know, be on the lookout next year or so, and uh, we'll have an answer for that that exact question. Okay. So stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> Okay, last question. Given the importance of both TLR7 and interferon gamma, STAT1 signaling, and autoimmune AFC and GC responses, 
could the interferon gamma and STAT1 signaling in B cells together with, you know, NF-kappa-B or IF-5 or 7 pathway orchestrate a genetic program required for autoimmune AFCOGC responses in this model, TLR7-accelerated SLE? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is something, this is what we're, this is our main focus right now is what what are these downstream players doing? So, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out, uh, in particular, we're focusing on the IRF proteins right now to try to figure out what, what they're doing, who they're targeting, how they're activated, where they're getting, where they mm-hmm. need to go, how that's dysregulated in lupus and things like that. So that's something that we're very interested in. I think that that's, that's the nail on the head. Who, who are they hitting? Uh, you know, who, what genes are they targeting? And how do, is that any different between an autoimmune response and a non-autoimmune response and things like that? Um, STAT1 in particular is a very interesting transcription factor. Um, there's a number of people working on STAT1, uh, you know, Sean Jackson and, uh, and, and David Rawlings uh, out of mm-hmm. Washington. They're, you know, they're actively looking at this. They have a gain of function mouse and stuff like that that they've shown some data with that's been very interesting. And I think one of the interesting things about STAT1 is, um, you know, there's, there's a difference between the constitutive type one interferon signaling and then the induced type one interferon signaling. And even just homeostatically, it's not exactly clear what that's doing, um, but it's known that STAT1 can definitely remodel chromatin and you know what's accessible during an, an autoimmune response during different cell, you know, during different, different, during different differentiation states mm-hmm. um, during, in different cell types and things like that is, is, is definitely, I think a hot button topic over the next few years as to what's gonna, you know, who's doing what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that was a long-winded answer for a short question, but uh, yes, I think they are, uh, you know, driving that genetic program probably, but who's hitting what and is it different uh, between an autoimmune response and a non-autoimmune response, I think is gonna be key. Okay. Thank you. So move on to the last part, the summary. So the key conclusions from this uh, study are, first, the interferon gamma, but not the type 1 interferon signaling is critical for TLR7-driven development of auto-reactive B-cells and SLE pathogenesis. Second, the interferon gamma regulates gene expression of several cellular pathways to promote antibody-forming cells and uh, follicular germinal center responses in TLR7-accelerated SLE. The third is that CD4-positive T-cells, including TFH, produce TLR7-induced interferon gamma. And lastly, there is an absolute requirement for uh, interferon gamma signaling in B-cells in regulating TLR7-mediated AFC, GC, and lupus nephritis developments. That's it. Thanks a lot, Dara. And yeah, again, one of the conclusions of the study that there is an absolute requirement of interferon gamma signaling B-cells. This is a sentence that we hardly get to hear in immunology. The word absolute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't yeah, hear exactly. that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And even just the, the you know, the association between uh, interferon gamma doing something in B-cells and that it's a, like that signaling is actually important is, is something that nobody had really been talking about, you know, up until up till this point. So that's that was sort of the main main objective of this study was to, to kind of put the focus on gamma as being one of the major players in B-cells um, in this system. Yeah. No, there is there so much going on in this field that we will not run out of projects to work for graduate <laughs> students for next a million years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's never enough hands, definitely. Um, yeah. 
All right. I think this would be a good point to wrap up the discussion. Uh, thanks a lot, Adam, for joining us today. And thanks to Dara for the wonderful discussion. Uh, for our audience, if you're interested to in know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. And you will be amazed by the antibody cinematic universe that we have for you. <laughs> we have got blogs, journal clubs, and career talks there. Uh, with that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off. Until we meet again. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.